How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody good? Okay. The definition of redundancy. Something that is repeated unnecessarily or something that is not useful because there is already another or more advanced version. Again, the part that I want to focus on is the beginning part of the definition of redundancy. Something that is repeated unnecessarily. I often wonder if my preaching is redundant. Um, some subjects that we cover here, uh, we've, we've talked about in the past, and then I'll preach on them again, and somehow they're all kind of threaded together, like one brother told me long ago that the Word of God is like a tapestry that just continues to inter, interweave, and they're all connected somehow. And so I feel like oftentimes um, my messages become redundant. And then I think about, uh, is that ineffective? Is that even necessary? And then my mind, when I began thinking about that, went to Acts uh, chapter 20, when the Apostle Paul said, and I want to read, I want to read what he said, because I think it's powerful. Not necessarily the subject matter, because that's a whole other topic, but kind of. It's, maybe it's not another topic. It kind of weaves in. But in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul says, Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So for three years, and I don't know if he's being dramatic or literal, but for three years, Paul warned these Ephesian elders night and day about false teaching to the point of tears. So... I go, well, maybe my preaching is not redundant because it's not every day and it hasn't been three years and it's not night and day. It's just once a week or when we get into conversation. So I look at that and then I take a look around at what my, my children are hearing and what we're hearing just through anything that we study and everything we talk, every time we talk to somebody about a particular subject, oftentimes we, we really get away from what the Word of God says. And I'll give you a, a quick example. I was at a basketball game with Grant and the boys and my dad this this Friday and one of the administrators slash teachers came up to Grant and said hey Grant uh, are you learning a bunch in science and Grant respectfully just said yep and I quickly said yeah but when he gets home we're fixing it and I wasn't trying to be rude but I was I was I felt this need as a father to let my son hear me say, what you're learning is not accurate. It doesn't give glory to God Almighty. And I wanted him to hear me say that because what he is teach, being taught is, is not in line with the Word of God. And uh, this kind of came about because we were, we were going through this, this Wednesday night study uh, about creation. And we started in Genesis last week and we started to go through these, uh, these different, it took a while to get through in the beginning God created, and then we started to get a little bit into the different days, and um, our kids are hearing these things in science class that say that this was created over time through Big Bang and things like that, rather than that God actually spoke it into existence. Like, did God really say that on day one, light was created, on day two, sky, on day three, land and plants, on day four, the sun and the moon, on day five, fish and birds, and on day six, mammals and mankind. Did God really say that? And is the day in Genesis really kind of 
line up with the day in Exodus when he says that on six days he created, on the seventh day he rested, therefore on the seventh day you are to have a day of rest. And so my kids are hearing this stuff constantly, and I go, if we're questioning the very beginning of the scripture as a, as a, as a human race, if we're questioning the first chapter of the first book of 66 books in the Bible, what makes the rest of it accurate? If we're going, no, that, that, that's, not, that's not accurate. It doesn't mean day. It means something else. If we're questioning what God said about this one particular subject, what makes the rest of it valid for us? Why not when God says, love your enemy, we go, ah, he didn't really mean love your enemy. He didn't really mean that. He means love your enemy if they repent. But that's not what it says. But we question that. Love your enemy? Ah, we don't really need to love our enemy. Or the borrower is slave to the lender. Well, that is, of course, unless you get a really good interest rate, then you've got the lender exactly where you want him. Right, Steve? <laughs> I think Steve's going to be doing a series on there, a sermon on that here soon. Uh, here's, here's one that's going to cause some um, shifting in the seats. Wives, submit to your husbands. Did God really mean that? Or was that just for Ozzie and Harriet? Um, here's some more shifting in the seats. Did God, did God really mean husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her? Did he really mean that? Or did he not understand that you're going to need a break and that on Fridays you should do what you want and on Saturdays you should spend all day doing what you want on Saturdays? But he says, give yourself up for her as Christ gave himself up for the church. You see, when we begin to question the very beginning of the Bible, what gives validity to the rest of the Bible if we question the first part? It's like God can't get the beginning of the story right. And that was what the, the teacher said on Wednesday. If God cannot get the beginning of the story correct, how are we supposed to believe him on the rest of the story? And it makes sense to me. And so these caveats that we put on are sometimes because we don't understand or we don't want to understand or we don't want to obey. And yet I look at scripture and I see a God that is not to be trifled with. We, we, we've created this God that is like Santa Claus. You've heard it said before. He's a very gentle, loving, forgiving, merciful, all merciful God, which I believe he is. But then there's other parts of Scripture that I look at and I go, God is not someone that we just go, hey, what's up, God? I'm using it as an example, Father. I didn't mean it irreverently. But we talk to God like that sometimes. And, and when I look in Scripture, I don't see that's the God in the Bible. You look in Exodus chapter 32. Most of you have read the story. You've heard the story. Moses is up on the mountain and he's talking to God and, and he's getting the commandments and, and he's up there a while and the Israelite people, they see that it's taken Moses a while to come back from the mountain. And so what do they do? They take off all their gold earrings and their bracelets and their necklaces and they give them to Aaron. And Aaron fashions, they melt it, and then he fashions a golden calf in the fire. Out of the fire, he fashions a golden calf, which he lied about later. And he goes, it just came out. Miraculously, it just came out. Well, it was fat. That's another segue to the Big Bang. Was it created or did it just happen? 
like nobody's going to believe that it just a golden calf came out of the fire. It was actually fashioned with a tool. And so this is melted and it, become, it comes out of the fire and they, the, the gold does and he, he makes it. And God is upset. He looks down and he sees that the people that he had brought out of Egypt had become corrupt and they have turned away from what he's commanded them and they made themselves an idol cast out of gold. And so he tells Moses, I'm going to destroy him. And Moses says, oh, don't destroy him. Then the other people that you said, you know, you're going to make him great. So Moses leaves, and in verse 19, this is when this, this idea of this God that we talk about, this God that we woke up this morning, this God that gave us breath, this God that gave us food that we're going to eat later today, this God that gave us our children, this God that has designed our hair and what it looks like, and he knitted us perfectly, and he knows our DNA, this very God that every one of us, that he knows every one of us, that he knows the stars and he's named them, this very God sends Moses. Moses goes down, he approaches the camp, he sees the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain, and he took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it in the powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. Then he said to Aaron, what do these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, make us gods who will go before us. And for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Miraculously, this calf came out. If you flip back a page, it actually says, he took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Okay, so he lied about it. He said, it just came out. Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let him out of control and so became a laughing stock to their enemies. Verse 26, chapter 32. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me and the Lord. And the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Okay, this literally happened in Israel, to Israel. This is what the Lord, the God, the creator of the universe, says to do. Each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. Then Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, but now I go up to the Lord. I will go up to the Lord, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord. So first God commanded the Levites or the people to strap on a sword and kill those that had worshipped the golden calf. And then Moses went back to the Lord and says, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. And the Lord struck the people with a plague because of what they had did with the calf Aaron had made. We, we have this God, kids, we have this God that has been created in our mind. And yet that's not the God that the Bible speaks of. So if, if, if people of the world are saying, well, the Bible's not really true because it messed up the first chapter. Well, then we can create a whole new God that doesn't care what we do or doesn't care what we say or doesn't care what we think. We can just do whatever we want and God, because He's so loving and merciful and graceful, 
and gracious will say, ah, don't worry about it. And that's just, that's not, that's not the God of the Bible. We've got to be clear with that. That's not the God of the Bible. One of the names of God is jealous. It actually says in the book of Exodus, whose name is jealous. What is he jealous for? Us. Our adoration, our worship, our reverence, our commitment. That's what God is jealous for. And we see what happens. We see what happens when, when people create something out of nothing and they create a God out of gold and they worship him and God takes the offensive. And we even see this in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 1, we see Paul, oh, we're in the New Testament now. You can't go to that argument about God being that way just in the Old Testament and now that Jesus has come, it's different. Well, yeah, there's some difference in a lot of things, but God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so in Romans chapter 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, in verse 16, because it, the gospel, is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. And then in verse 18, he says, the wrath of God, he's writing to Christian people in Rome. Paul is writing to Christians in Rome. And he says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what, they, what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. We don't have an excuse that we didn't realize God did this, because we can see it just based on what has been made. His divine qualities are known just by what we can see. And then it goes on to say, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. And what is the lie? Worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. They were worshipping a golden calf, and they worship the created things rather than the creator of the gold and the fire. And we do that today by worshiping things created rather than giving reverence and homage to the creator of the universe. I don't even feel like a preacher right now. I feel like I'm saying something that is so darn obvious that I don't understand how people cannot... Stop walking for just a second and, and just go for a walk and just smell the air or what's in the air and see the effects of the wind and look at a child and look at, smell food. I mean, and not just go, wow. But instead, we're going to find every excuse possible to write God out of the history books. And so when that teacher goes, are you enjoying what you're learning in science? He's learning that they've taken God out of the equation. 
And it doesn't, it, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense that we can be an intellectual being and not give reverence to the author of life. And that's what they're being taught. And I tried to talk about this last week. If you don't think they're being taught that, then your head is in the sand. I'm being taught that. I, re I, I looked up the definition of universe. I'm going to skip ahead for a second. Just the definition of universe on the internet. All existing matter and space considered as a whole, the cosmos, the universe is believed to be at least 10 billion light years in diameter and contains a vast number of galaxies. It has been expanding since its creation in the Big Bang about 13 billion years ago. So I just Google universe and the writer of this is shoving Big Bang and getting rid of God altogether. It's not just the kids. It's what you hear. You go to a museum down in Moab. And what do you hear? 13.73 billion years ago, a little thing, nothing, exploded into something. And now we have you. It, it doesn't make sense. It, 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 it doesn't make sense to me. And so, I want to look this morning... And my goal this morning is to, to really think about who this God is. Who is this God that we pray to before we eat? Who is this God that we're going to pray to before our fellowship meal? Who is this God that we're going to talk about in communion before we take the body and blood of Christ? Is he, who is this God that we just kind of say, yeah, he exists. But he's more than that. When he's the creator. Like he is the creator of the universe. If that doesn't just, I mean, just speaking that sentence blows my mind. The creator of the universe. If you go back to Genesis, and if you look at Genesis 1, 3, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, 6, 9, 11, 14, 20, 24, 26, and 29, it says, Then God said, Let there be a pecan roll right now. Where is it? I, I, I can't even create a pecan roll by speaking it. And God said, let there be light. Let there be plants. Let there be firmament. Let there be water. Let there be this. Let there be that. Let there be that. And he created it. He spoke it into existence. In Genesis chapter 1, that's what he talks about. And then, if you go over to Job, and you look at Job, and you see this complaining Job, and I, I, I'm not going to say, I can't believe Job's complaining. I think I would be complaining if I went with what Job went through. I would like to say that I would have the faith to say, you know what, God is, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. But I'm going to be honest. With what Job went through, I can understand where he's coming from, just in my life, this is terrible. And finally, after hearing all of this stuff from his friends and Job speaking, the Lord speaks, and I feel like there's this four-chapter tongue lashing that comes from God. I don't know how it's said. I just know how it's written. And it's like this, this uh, what do you call that when you ask a question, but you're not really looking for an answer? Pardon? Rhetorical. It's like this, thank you, Jen. It's like this rhetorical Four chapters. Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm. 
Who is this? First, chapter 38, verse 1. Verse 2. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Sorry, i got to get rid of this gum. It's making me talk funny. That's my excuse. Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? So you have the next four chapters, and if you ever read Job 38, 39, 40, and 41, you see this, where were you when I did this? Where were you when this happened? Where were you when the, dawn, or when the, when the fawn uh, was born? Where were you when the mountain goats gave birth? Did you watch the doe bear her fawn? Did you count the months till they bear? Did you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their youngs thrive and grow strong in the winds. They leave and do not turn. Do you give the horse his strength or clothe his neck with a flowing mane? Do you give... I'm just flipping through. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread his wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build... So you look at this four chapters. Can you pull in the Leviathan with the fish hook or tie down his tongue? Do you tell the waves where to halt? <laughs> Think about this God we're talking about. That we have the opportunity to be adopted by. This God that says, do you know where I've put the pathways of the sea? Have you ever studied the, the water that goes from the south, from, from the northwest, down to the Gulf of Mexico, and then the Gulf of Mexico water that comes up to the, or the northeast, sorry, the northeast? Have you studied that? When he talks about the pathways of the seas? I mean, when you look at who this God is, and when you look at in Job, when it says, behind him he leaves a glistening wake and would... One would think the deep had white hair talking about the boiling cauldron or talking about the... What is he talking about here? I know, something really strong. The Leviathan. He's talking about the Leviathan. This entire chapter 41 about the Leviathan. He looks down on all that are haughty. He is king over all that are proud. Who has a claim against me, says the Lord, that I must pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. So when I see God in Exodus 32 saying, I told you not to make a golden calf, and you did it. And then when I see somebody arguing or, or having these feelings about God, and he says, wait a second, stand like a man and listen to me. Where were you when I did these things? Who is this that darkens my counsel? This God that we talk about, and this God that we serve, and this God that we love, and this God that we adore, is so much bigger then we can even fathom. His power and His strength is beyond comprehension, in my opinion. NASA says one of the mysteries, or two of the mysteries of the universe. So the universe, again, I'll read the first part, all existing matter and space considered as a whole, the cosmos. NASA said so there's two mysteries right now that they're, they look at and they're in all of. One is dark energy and the other is dark matter. Okay? Dark energy and dark matter. Dark energy makes up, in their opinion or their estimation, 68% of the universe, all the cosmos. Okay? 68% of the universe is made up of dark energy. Dark energy is the name given to the mysterious force. We don't even know what it is. 
okay? But it's made up the mysterious force that's causing the rate of expansion of our universe to accelerate over time, rather than, to, rather than it causing it to slow down. That's contrary to one, what one might expect from a universe that began in a Big Bang, because it's expanding and the temperature on the outsides are the same and they don't understand why. They can't figure it out. 27% of the universe, okay, it's 68% is the dark energy, 27% of the universe that we're in is composed of dark matter. Dark matter is composed of particles that do not absorb, reflect, or emit light so they cannot be detected by observing electromagnetic radiation. Dark matter is material that not, cannot be seen directly. We know that it exists because of the effect it has on objects that we can observe directly. So we know it exists, we just don't know what it is. It's just dark matter. And then 5% of the rest, you have 80, 68 and 27 is roughly 95, and you have 5% or less of the universe is everything we have ever observed with all the instruments ever. The planets, the stars, the black holes, we don't know what's beyond it, but we know that energy is coming to and fro and all these things. But so there's 5% out there that we actually can understand what it is. So 95% of it, we don't have a clue what it is. And yet, okay, and yet, we can say the earth is back to the pinpoint of this time and this starting this many millions and billions of years ago. That doesn't make sense to me. One article that I read that was advocating no God as a creator said this, suppose we ask, where did space-time itself arise from? Then we can go on turning the clock yet further back into the truly ancient Planck epoch is what it's called, or epoch. Planck Epoch, a period so early in the universe, a period so early in the universe's history that our best theories of physics break down. So the laws that we know of physics, they actually break down because it's so far back. This era, this Planck Epoch era, era this, is a, this was actually written. I actually laughed out loud in the office when I read this. This era, called the Planck Epoch, occurred only one trillion, one, I can't even say it, it's so funny, only one ten millionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang. Thank you. <clears throat> this era, this is our scientists that want to erase God from everything. These guys say, the era called the Planck Epoch occurred one ten millionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second after the Big Bang. So we can figure that out, but we can't quite figure out how to get rid of allergies or arthritis or IBS, or cancer, or the common cold, or Crohn's disease, or dementia, or diabetes, or depression, or epilepsy, or psoriasis, or rabies, or scoliosis, among the many, many other things we cannot cure. But we can go back 13.76 billion years ago to a single point to one billionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a trillionth of a second and say this is when this era. 
Do you understand why this is ridiculous? Wouldn't it be just a lot easier and a lot more common sense to say, God created everything. Everything else just doesn't make, just doesn't add up. You've got to fill too many holes. And quite frankly, I think it's time as a human race, as Christians, that we stop being silent on the matter. I'm not saying be arrogant and rude. I'm saying it's time that people say, you know, that, that doesn't make sense. This, this whole concept that it just exploded from nothing, it, it doesn't make sense. You have way more faith to believe that because it doesn't add up. It breaks the laws of nature. Often attributed to Edmund Burke is the saying uh, that I'll read in a minute, but lore has it that it was actually a utilitarian philosopher named John Stuart Mill who was delivering a speech in 1867 to the University of St. Andrews, and he said this, Let not anyone pacify his conscience by the delusion that he can do no harm if he takes no part and forms no opinion. Bad men need nothing more to compass their ends than that good men should look on and do nothing. He is not a good man who, without a protest, allows wrong to be committed in his name and with the means which he helps to supply because he will not trouble himself to use his mind on the subject. Basically, a good man's not going to let evil happen because he's too lazy to figure it out. Is kind of how I read that. And simply stated, you've all heard this saying, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Do you think it's evil for someone to say of our God and our Creator, no, He didn't do that? Genesis chapter 1, that's not true. God messed that up. Well, now I can't believe the rest of it. Because if He can't even get the first, the first you know, 50 words right, the first 15 words right, if He can't even get that right, the rest of this is just, it's a fairy tale. So you can understand why I think it's time that Christians speak up. And I'm not talking, like I said, being rude or arrogant, but speak the truth in love. Why is it okay for everyone else to say, oh yeah, this and that? No, 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 that's not, but that's one theory, but how come you're not teaching creation? How come you're not teaching that maybe God did speak it into existence? How come you're not teaching the laws of thermodynamics don't work? with that way to, that the world came about. Why, are we, why, why do we allow that, but we don't allow the latter? Look at the universe. Look at the existing matter. Look at space. Look and consider the heavens. Consider the cosmos. Consider the works of His hands. And when you start at that basic premise, you can then say, wow, guess what? You're special too, son. You're not just some accident that got lucky because mud happened to run into a flower, and years later, a monkey came out, and then you? But say, no, God spoke you. He created you. He knit you together. That makes you important and special. That's what God makes you. You can see the danger of saying God didn't do that. So I think we need to be bold. 
because he is our creator. Colossians chapter 1, all things were created by him, through him, and for him. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He made his flesh, or became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God spoke this stuff into existence, and we can no longer apologize for it. Second thing I have, I don't know what time we start. I know uh, we've got plenty of time. Um, another reason why I think, other than the obvious facts that God is the creator, because that's the only thing that works, is that he is Lord. He is king of all kings. He is all-powerful. I hear people say constantly, when I get up to heaven, God and I are going to have a talk. Really? <laughs> How do you know? How do you know you're going to be able to speak? How do you know you're not going to be in such awe on bended knee in reverence that you're just going to just maybe even cover your face and say, I can't, I'm afraid to look. And then a, maybe a hand gets on your shoulder and says, no, son, daughter, you can look. We, I don't know. So the arrogance to say, God and I are going to have to hash some things out. Who, who do you think you're dealing with here? Or, you know, God, what are you doing? Someone that's inflicted with pain and suffering and death, I hear recently, and they lived a very rough life on their body, and they died at a particularly young age, under 70. And the person living says, God, what are you, what are you doing? As if they're frustrated at God because he allowed this one mortal person in history to not escape death. So what gives this person the right to say, God, why are you doing that? Go to Isaiah. Go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, there's this commission that Isaiah is giving, and it says in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty." Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. And he said, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. This is the prophet Isaiah 
who has a vision of the Lord Almighty, the creator of the universe. And he says in verse 1 through 4, At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. He saw the power of God. The power of God. And then the next passage in verse 5, you see man's humility at the, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. So in verse 1 through 4, you see the power of God. In verse 5, you see the humility of man. And in verse 6 and 7, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal to his hand, which he had taken with his tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You have the redemption that comes from who? God. It comes from God. I can't be redeemed by you, and you can't be redeemed by me. Only God can redeem us. You have the power of God. You have the humility of man. You have the redemption that comes from God. You have man's response says, Here I am, send me. And then you have the commission that God says, Go, do this, so that they will hear and understand and apply and live and be healed. And all this is circled around the power of God Almighty. So how can anybody say, God and I are going to have a discussion when I get there. This is Isaiah the prophet that goes, I've seen the face of the Lord Almighty. I can't even look. And yet the arrogance of humans today that can have a sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. Are you insane? Do you understand and even know who you're referring to? And when you see this masterful, powerful, omniscient, omnipotent God, the creator of the universe, say to his father in Luke 23, forgive them, father, for they know not what they are doing. They were getting ready to execute the creator of the universe. And he says, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You have God as the redeemer. Even though he's so powerful and magnificent and amazing, and even though we go before him sometimes with irreverence, and these people crucified him, and he was crucified because of our sin, He still says, forgive them, Father, as the Redeemer of mankind. We talked about this in our men's study on Wednesday. For God loved the world so much, He so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. I'm going to put my faith in that God versus nothing turned into everything. You see the danger of what we're facing in our country and what we're facing in our theology today? 
And I, I'm, rep- I'm repentant. I'm repentant of saying, you know, if it was six billion years or six million years, it doesn't matter, God's in charge. I'm repentant of that. I don't believe that. I don't feel that way anymore. That's why when Steve says, what do you think about the study? I like the study because it's caused me to think about things in a different way. That if Genesis chapter 1 is accurate, then I can believe the rest of the Bible. If Genesis 1 is inaccurate, what are we doing here? I don't think it's redundant to constantly look at the divinity of God and the divinity of Jesus. I don't think it's redundant. I think constantly we need reminders. I think Paul was warning people for three years, reminding them, watch out. And I've always looked at that from a religious perspective. Distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. I've always looked at that. Maybe they're going to change this meaning of the word and the application of this or the the feeling of this or the faith in this. And maybe he was all-encompassing saying, hey, guess what? People are going to come later and they're going to say that God didn't do this. And we're going to have people following them like lemmings off a cliff, like sheep to the slaughter. I mean, just constantly following these false teachers. And I think we've got to be bold. And we've got to say, no, that's not, that's not true. We are ambassadors for Jesus, and God did not send us here to apologize for Him. I'm not going to apologize for what God said. God said it. Talk to Him, if you can, when you meet Him. But do not be deceived, because Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, We'll close with this scripture. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who in being who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is a promise that every knee will bow before Jesus and every tongue will confess. None of you are an exception to the rule. None of us are an exception to the rule. And nobody outside these walls that are teaching that baloney are an exception to the rule. So my challenge is 
When you think of God, when you speak of God, when you talk to God, when you pray to God, when you thank God, do it with the reverence that He deserves. When you live your life, do it as a living sacrifice, your spiritual sacrifice, your form of worship to the Creator of the universe. I, I'm probably no different than any generation that's come about since the days of Jesus that thought, getting close to the end. <laughs> Yesterday, Brenda said, I feel like time is speeding up. I feel, I feel like things are getting faster. I see a lot of people nodding their head. They seem to be getting faster. So I think we need to be very cognizant and aware that Jesus is returning. And we better have our oils, our lamps with oil. We better have it lit. We better be ready. Amen. Who has, uh, who has communion? Uh, Jared? Okay.